Hey everybody, welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sister. I'm Christy Brower and I am your host tonight. He is off doing the kinds of things that moms have to do when they have a senior in high school graduating this month. So you can imagine that there are lots of things going on that keep her very busy. So I am here by myself. Tonight is our Wednesday night case updates. And I gotta tell you, there are quite a few of them and some interesting ones, some kind of funny ones, and some good news on some of them as well. So I just want to welcome you to the show. And this is a live stream initially on um, YouTube and Facebook. So I know our chatters will roll in here in a few minutes, and I'm going to give you a few updates as we go. So, one good news update out of the Derek Chauvin case. So, of course, this is the murder of George Floyd, which is a huge deal here in the U.S., and Derek Chauvin has been found guilty on all counts. Well, there was an application made by the prosecutor that there were aggravating factors in the death of George Floyd, which should make it possible for the judge to have the option of giving Derek Chauvin a longer sentence. And the judge did rule that, in fact, yes, there are aggravating factors in this case, particularly the particularly that Derek Chauvin abused his authority as a police officer when he restrained George Floyd last year and that he treated Floyd with particular cruelty in which that resulted in his death. He also cited the presence of children who witnessed this murder and the fact that Chauvin was part of a group with at least three other people. So there were four people committing this murder. Uh, let's see. The judge also said that Chauvin and two other officers held Floyd handcuffed in a prone position on the street for an inordinate amount of time and that Chauvin knew the restraint was dangerous. So the prolonged use, use of this technique was particularly egregious in that George Floyd made it clear that he was unable to breathe and expressed the view that he was dying as a result of the officer's restraint which in fact was quite true and did in fact result in George Floyd's death. Now, even with the aggravating factors, most legal experts think that Derek Chauvin won't serve more than 30 years. He is to be sentenced on June 25th. However, um, there are federal charges pending now. They, well, they've now been filed against Derek Chauvin and the other three police officers involved. And these are hate crime charges, federal hate crime charges. And so there's way more coming for Derek Chauvin than this conviction. This conviction, of course, is very important, but it's only the beginning. So I was very pleased to see and hear about that because it's an important case and one that we need to keep an eye on. I want to say welcome to RJ and Jerry and Paula and Angie and Innocuous and Bianca and uh, Cranky. Nice to see you all here. 
And I do have some more updates for you. Jerry says the Morphew and Vallow case updates were so exciting. Yes. So last week we found out that um, uh, Barry Morphew, yeah, sorry, couldn't remember his name for a minute, has been arrested and charged with the death of his wife. Unfortunately, that also indicates that they do know that Suzanne Morphew is dead, which is a sad moment, I think. We also have all kinds of things going on in the Vallow case. We know now several things. There is a grand jury that has been convened coming up on May 21st. So that's only next week, you guys. They will start to deliberate and be, well, they will start to uh, review evidence and hear testimony to determine whether or not they can indict Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell for the murders of Tammy Daybell, J.J. Vallow, and Tylee Ryan. Murder charges, guys. This is big. But of course, they have to agree that there is enough evidence to indict. And so that's what we're waiting to hear about. We also have heard some things in the Lori Vallow, Daybell, Chad Daybell case about uh, DNA. There's been some legal jockeying going on around DNA. Now, let me give you another update in the Daybell Fallow case that is, I don't know, bizarre, very bizarre. So, a couple of days ago, a subpoena was leaked on the internet. This subpoena has not actually even been served, but it's out there in the world, and we now know why. Uh, it is um, a subpoena for Nate Eaton, who is a journalist with East, East Idaho News. He's one of the journalists that broke the Daybell Vallow case. He's definitely someone who's been involved this entire time. He was in Hawaii when they arrested Lori. He was, you know, right there when they found the bodies of the kids. I mean, he's been involved all along doing his thing as a journalist. And so it's a strange thing that he would be subpoenaed because, you know, Generally, journalists are not subpoenaed because they have, you know, legal rights to not be, you know, to not be subpoenaed and to not do, you know, be involved in these legal proceedings. So let me tell you, first of all, this subpoena is the weirdest freaking subpoena I have ever seen. Um, I'm going to read it to you. This is from John Pryor. Now, John Pryor is Chad Daybell's attorney. And it starts out with, the state of Idaho sends greetings to Nate Eaton, East Idaho News. The state of Idaho, guys. Why? Then it says, you are hereby commanded, commanded, to appear before the Honorable Judge Stephen W. Boyce, District Judge of the 7th Judicial District of the State of Idaho, in and for the County of Fremont, at the courtroom in the courthouse at St. Anthony, Idaho, on the 9th day of June 2021, at 9 a.m. as a witness in the above entitled action, which there wasn't really one. You are further commanded, commanded again, to bring with you the following items and documents. <laughs> None. So, this is kind of a big deal, of course, because Nate Eaton is a journalist and everyone's wondering why he would be subpoenaed. And so, immediately, there's been a bunch of stuff happen in which Nate Eaton is now represented. And I'm going to read what his attorney says because, obviously, this is, you know, 
a strange situation. Here's what Nate Eaton's attorney says. News reporters should not be conscripted as witnesses for either side in a criminal case, particularly in a case of such enormous public interest and concern. The First Amendment protects the independence of the press so it can report on criminal cases and not be forced to become witnesses in them. We hope the defense will reconsider this course and withdraw the subpoena. If not, we will ask the court to quash the subpoena. This is Jeffrey J. Hunt. And you may have seen that this story uh, hit national news yesterday. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, just found this very, very interesting. And uh, I, Nate was commanded. Okay, so we got a little more intro, got a little more information here today because, like, what is he being subpoenaed for and being subpoenaed by the defense for? Right? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, turns out this has everything to do with a hearing to change venue. Now, that's a big deal, and that's something that's coming up a hearing to change the venue uh, from Madison County or Fremont County or wherever, you know, that this was potentially going to be held because it's not, you know, it can't possibly, these trials cannot possibly be held here. They can't. There's no way they're going to be able to get, you know, a clean jury. So what this is really about is, so John Pryor is listing Nate Eaton, Heather Daybell, who is Chad Daybell's sister-in-law, Joe Adriani of Colombo Investigations and Andrea Frick as lay witnesses. They are all being subpoenaed as a part of the change of venue. So I can only guess that uh, Nate's subpoena is about Uh, You know, basically illustrating his point that the news has covered this so heavily that people, you know, aren't going to, can't find a clean jury here. Um, Heather Daybell, we all know if you've been following the Daybell Vallo case at all, this is about uh, the letter, the, the email that Heather Daybell sent to people in her church about her experience with her brother in law. And then the other two people listed have to do with a survey that was done in the area regarding the case, again, proof to change venue. All of it's kind of funny, I think, because I don't think there's anybody, including the prosecutor, that thinks that this isn't, that it's not a good idea to to change venue. It clearly is. I mean, this has to happen, right? But all of this, you know, like how this subpoena leaked, I do not know. I haven't been able to find a clear answer as to why it leaked or how it leaked. Um, We don't know for sure if Nate will actually be subpoenaed, particularly now with everything that's happened. He probably won't be because, you know, I mean, it's pretty clear that legally he can't be. So it's a it's a strange, strange situation. But of course it is because it is the Daybell Vallow case and it's always going to be a strange situation with this thing. And this this whole situation, this whole case. So we'll see what all of this, uh, how all of this plays out. Um, But subpoenaing the press is, you know, just one more step in the, these guys don't know what the hell they are doing machine that is happening around the defense for Lori and Chad. 
strange stuff. So there's so much stuff going on. So much of it is this undercurrent that we don't really know what's happening. And I'm hoping that soon we're going to learn more. You know, I really wish, honestly, that someone would sue over the fact that they're doing so many behind closed doors hearings. There's so much that the, the public isn't being told. And we have the right to know. We definitely have the right to know. So, hey, if you're listening, you know, like Court TV and CNN, because I'm sure they're listening to my live stream, right? Um, you guys, you guys have the attorneys to do the job. Let's, let's, let's sue, uh, over this situation. They're keeping the press out, you know, they're keeping the information away from the public and we have the right to know. And that is a real problem that's going on in this situation right now. Uh, Jerry says, if you don't mind everyone, please press the thumbs up to help the YouTube machine recommend Christy Moore. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate that so very much. And I appreciate all of you for being here. Uh, let's see, Cranky, Jr. Cooper, Candace, Paula. I think I think I welcomed everyone else that is here. But I really appreciate all of you being here tonight. Uh, Paula says, "Remember Pryor saying he would subpoena everyone." Mister Wood has spoken uh, to since he was appointed special prosecutor for this case. Yeah, he wanted to subpoena Wood as an uh, as a witness, except that you know he's He's the prosecutor, uh, you know, and that he's doing just that. Right. You know, and I really wonder how much of this is for the sensationalism. Is it his own office that leaked that subpoena? You know, they're just trying to get more attention because as much as they say they don't like the attention, they create it all the time. And so I think that they actually do like the attention. I don't know. I don't know. These guys sometimes, well, all the time. They just don't make a lot of sense when it comes to just actual real legal defend your clients kind of stuff. But I I actually really do wonder, did he just leak this himself? Because then it would cause this big thing, you know, it's caused a national response about how, you know, journalists cannot be subpoenaed and anyway, all this stuff. So that's what's going on in the Daybell Ballow case. Um, I would absolutely give anything to be a fly on the wall during the grand jury proceedings, but of course those are secret. So we won't know anything until they are done. What we will know is if they find that there is enough to indict. So this one thing to know, um, just, just for clarity, is that the grand jury is being done in place of a preliminary hearing. So we had a preliminary hearing with Chad Daybell. Um, You know, it was two days of, we learned a lot. There's a lot of evidence. The FBI was there. Lots of people testified. There's all kinds of information coming out. So then because of, you know, then, and the judge did find that there was probable cause to hold Chad over to district court for trial. Lori waived her preliminary hearing because it was going to be all the same information and it was going to be the same outcome, right? So instead of doing that in the murder cases, what they have opted to do is the grand jury. Lots of reasons for that. One being that there are people who may be willing to testify behind closed doors who might not publicly. I said this last week, but I still really 
really suspect that Chad's children may be involved in that. Maybe, you know, I, some of them were living there at the time that some of this stuff went down. I cannot imagine that they don't know things, probably things that they didn't realize at the time, but now they do. And of course their mother is dead. And now part of this, that her case is, you know, her murder case is a part of this. So I feel like it is a wise move, but it's a real bummer move for the rest of us because we don't get to hear what they have to say. But, you know, fingers crossed that they're going to come back with a positive result and that they will, in fact, say that, yeah, there is enough, you know, to try them. And then it will head off to trial. And as we know, trial is taking a long time. We're going to be well into 2022 before there are any actual trials, I think, in this situation, COVID, of course, but then they also keep changing things and pushing things. And, you know, the cases have been joined. And now Pryor says that he is going to seek uh, a severance. He wants them to be severed because he doesn't want them to be joined, which makes me think just, you know, the Chad is going to flip on Lori. That is, I don't know. And that's, this is still just in the um, destruction of evidence and the, uh, you know, concealing of evidence. This isn't even the murder trials. So it's all a lot of drama. It's taken a long time, but yet again, something weird happens that generally doesn't happen, like trying to subpoena a local journalist. So that's what's going on in the Dave Bell case. I have one more for you, and you won't know this case probably, but I feel like it's an interesting conversation for us to have. I feel like whenever I'm researching cases, there's a lot of philosophical stuff that comes up in true crime, things that we need to consider as a populace, you know, just as humanity, whether you're in the U.S. or wherever you are, and this case is an interesting one. So this is the case of Gerald Ross Pizzuto Jr. Gerald has been on death row in Idaho uh, since 1985. He murdered two people, Berta Herndon and her nephew Del Herndon, in their cabin. It was a and uh, he robbed them. It was very terrible. I vaguely remember when this happened. I remember their last names, like their names sound familiar to me. So his date, he is scheduled to be executed on June 2nd. And his attorneys are seeking clemency for him. Uh, there is a, a clemency petition that has been filed. And there is a, a pardons and parole commissioners uh, review coming up on May 18th of his clemency request. And here's the reason for the clemency request. He is 65 years old and has been on hospice for over a year. He has late stage bladder cancer, type two diabetes and chronic heart disease. He's had several heart attacks among many other things. He is not expected to live much longer at all. Um, one of the attorneys involved said he could die any day. He is in terrible shape. They do talk also about the uh, abuse he experienced as a child. And some of this has come up um, 
in the past with him as well that he has a developmental disability and does he really you know have the mental capacity truly to understand what he did and in general it's frowned upon to execute people who are mentally disabled not that it hasn't happened because it has so here's the question he could die any day and they're basically saying you know to execute him on june 2nd is basically needless considering that he is to die any day also that um there's a huge expense whenever there's a uh and an execution it costs a lot of money and also there are people that have to be involved it's tremendously traumatizing and is it really necessary for someone who is terminally ill this just happened with another idaho case recently we talked about it on here on the show where a man who was on death row a serial killer who was on death row for murders in Idaho uh, died of brain cancer and he had opted for no um, no treatment of his cancer and basically did the state a favor by not having to execute him. This is kind of what's going on here too. Is it really necessary? And I want to know what you guys think. So if you're in the chat, tell me what you think, you know? He was sentenced in 1986 for the murders of the Herndons. Um, he forced them into their cabin while he held them. Uh, he, he held them at gunpoint a 22 caliber rifle. He later tied them up and bludgeoned them with a hammer. Uh, Berta Herndon died from the hammer blows and Del Herndon died after Pizzuto shot him in the head. Pizzuto stole money from the two. And he did later brag about the killings to people that he knew. And so that's where he was, you know, uh, you know, uh, was not hard to convict him. But really, at this point, what is the point of executing him when he is dying anyway? These kinds of things really, they make me think. And I wonder if they make you think as well. You know, what's the the cost of, you know, the human cost of executing someone the people whose job it is to do that and the cost and does it really matter i mean the dude's about to die anyway and so there are there are a bunch of uh religious leaders in idaho the episcopalian and catholic bishops leaders of the methodist presbyterian mennonite lutheran and jewish congregations who have all come forward supporting this clemency claim uh, let's see, the Reverend Brian Tom, who's an Episcopalian, wrote a letter to the parole board that said, given that his death is approaching, granting Mr. Pizzuto clemency at this time would be a testimony of prudent adjudicatory oversight and a witness to the soul-affirming gift of mercy. So, you know, I don't know. It's not like he didn't commit a crime that put him on death row. He most certainly did. But what do we do in these situations, you know? Do we kill him while he's dying? I mean, he might die before that, before his date even comes up. I mean, that's what they're saying is it's very likely that he could. But what's the point, right? 
Uh, Joy in the chat says, I am anti-death penalty, but they could at least postpone, postpone it for six months and let nature take its course. Right? That's what I'm thinking. Why not postpone and just let him die? Cranky says, I don't agree with execution at all. I, I struggle with it a whole lot. And doing this kind of work in true crime, you know, I see both sides of it all the time. Uh, Joy also said, and, and it is a cost to the mental health of the executor. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is. So do we need that? JR says, execute him. Okay. Uh, you know, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation, because I do think that it's an interesting one. Um, and are there family members of the victims? How do they feel? You know, I couldn't find anything about how they feel. They haven't said publicly if, if there is anyone left from that family. They have not said publicly what they think of this. So, I don't know. I guess I'll leave it with you to think about, because I think as we do true crime and we find it entertaining, which of course we do, and that's okay, but some of it also, I think, brings us some, some things to think about when it comes to humanity. Uh, let's see. Jerry says they delay executions all the time. They could do it here. They definitely could. They could kick it out six, six months and he'd be dead before then, I sounds like. Uh, Red Girl says if he's going to die soon, leave him be. Yeah. I, I tend to agree. Like, you got to kill somebody that's already dying. I don't know. What's the point of that? What's the point of going through all of it? He's going to die in prison either way. I don't know. Just something I wanted to kick to you guys to think about because it is definitely a part of true crime is this whole debate about execution, you know, and about the death penalty because it certainly comes up as a question sometimes. I did want to share as we wrap up tonight's update that JR did say we have a lot of major trials going on. Ghislaine Maxwell, uh, Leticia and Daybell. Yeah, we do. There's a lot going on right now. And over the summer, I think we're going to see a lot of movement in many cases, and we're going to have way more to talk about when it comes to all of this. So as always, I'm super curious about it all as I'm sure you are too. And I um very, uh, you know, curious to continue to report on whatever else is going to happen in the world. You guys, I, I never know. JR says, maybe it should be the family's decision. No, that's an interesting thought, but then you give them the power over this man's life. And would they want to take it? I don't know if I would want to take it. You know, I don't know. Joy says, I crave the day when the general population is trauma competent. I do as well, Joy. There's so much um, we need to work on. Yeah. So, well, you guys, that's everything that I have for you. We will be back tomorrow night with the Psychic Hour. That's a 7 p.m. Mountain Time right here on YouTube. We'll be streaming it live. Or, of course, you can catch it after the fact on YouTube or on our podcast stream. You guys, we are about to hit 100,000 downloads on our podcast stream. I think we'll do it by the end of this month, which is just crazy. And crazy exciting to think that that many of you are out there listening to us. I just want to say thank you to all of you for listening to us and following us on this journey. It is uh, it is an absolute honor 
to get to share this information with all of you, to get to know you. If you haven't jumped in on one of our live streams, please do it. We love to hear from you. We love to get to know you. Also, you can send us a case recommendation, something you would like us to cover. Remember, we like cold cases, so please send us some cold cases. We generally don't do new current cases unless they're like the ones around us. As you know, we're covering the Daybell Vallow case very heavily because we live where it is occurring. Uh, but as far as like our cold reads, that kind of thing, we like uh, we like cold cases. So go to truecrimeparanormalpodcast.com. You can scroll down to the bottom of the page and there you will find a form you can fill out that will, uh, you know, send us a message that says, hey, please cover this case. You can find lots of other great things on our website. We are also on Patreon and you can see us over there. We're just True Crime Paranormal on Patreon. We do uh, two extra cases a month. So if you're a patron, you get some special stuff. And we kind of like to do some kind of uh, high profile things over there for you because you do help support us and, you know, help us to uh, have the resources that we need to keep doing what we're doing. So check that out over there. And of course, you can find us on Facebook. We have a fan page, True Crime Paranormal, with a discussion group connected to it where we share all kinds of stuff. And it's it's a lot of fun to uh, get to know all of you as we learn more and more and more about the world of true crime. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. And you know it, I'm Christy Brower, and this is True Crime Paranormal. Have a great night. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.